1: Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking riding in the butt one word at a time.
0: Taylor, it's sometimes miraculous the way our conversations before we start recording tie into what we're going to be recording about without really knowing how that all works, and I had wanted to talk to you about chapter openings, and coincidentally, that's what uh, this week's Show is is going to be about a, a version of that, so we're going to instead of our normal farm related chit chat, we're go- <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about chapter openings and why I, I was thinking about it this week. I've I read two or three different books this week, one of which just absolutely was written back in the in the mid eighties, and I did not know that it was re released. Um, recently, and written back in the mid '80s, and I started reading it. And like the first page and a half, just gripped me so that I just thought, "I am going to love these characters, and I want to read every book in this series." And that's like after a page and a half. And I finished the first book, went to the second book, went to the third book, finished them all, and coincidentally, then started another series that looked like it would be really interesting, right up my alley, and I had the exact opposite um, experience in reading the first chapter, where the first few pages were so dreadful that I just thought, "Eh, I'm going to go look for something else, because I was so enjoying what I had been reading, I didn't want to spend half a book trying to figure out whether I like something or not. So then I went out and looked for something else, and it it was similar. It was like it was okay um, in the first chapter, and it's always... I, I won't say that it's always puzzled me, but it does puzzle me now that I know how much work goes into writing a book. Why, when you're done writing the book, you don't go back and make sure that that first 3,000 words or so is really going to draw in the readers that you want to get. So that's, that was just going to be a, an unrecorded conversation that I wanted to have with Taylor, but since it leads into what we're going to be talking about, I wanted to get your thoughts on that before we actually get into the topic of the show.
1: You know, I don't know. the Like, I don't know why someone wouldn't. And, you know, it's quite possible. Well, I can think of maybe one reason, and that is that someone's writing in a hurry. So, like, if you're really churning out the words, you, and you're under really tight pressure, and you know your readers are... I don't want to say forgiving because that implies there's something to be forgiven, but they, everybody has a certain standard of what they expect when they're writing. And if you already have fans who are, have a certain level of expectations then, and you know that they're okay with just writing fast and not necessarily writing really clean, you're just going to expect that they're going to stick with you. Um, And they probably will existing fans probably will, but, it's not going to garner you any new fans or new readers because um, if somebody's not already familiar with that style of writing or that level of storytelling that you're at, and they have a different set of expectations, to them it's going to be a bit of a, a turnoff, right? They're just like the kind of like what you experience. So I can imagine if somebody is just really writing to to just writing for volume instead of for uh, quality then that would be a reason why you wouldn't go back because you're just like, it's good enough. It's fine the way it is. Um, and that's fine because that is the expectation. That's what you're setting out to achieve. It's it's not like one way is better than the other. It's different audiences, different content, right? Um, but in terms of someone who's not just writing for volume and who's really trying to uh, write books that meet a certain reading level standard or whatever, I can't think of why somebody wouldn't go back and clean them up. I would imagine that they probably do, but maybe what's in their heads and what they're, you get so close to the material that you're not able to actually see the lack of strength in those opening chapters. That's my guess. I don't know. I know that I personally work harder on the first, I'd say the first three chapters, but especially the first opening pages than any other uh, part of the book, hands down, Um, because they're so critical to pulling people into the story. I know that um, you see a lot of readers will say, oh, if the story doesn't capture me by the first 50 pages, I put it down. And honestly, I think those readers are very generous because time is like the most precious commodity we have. Um, but I'm also grateful for readers like that because I recently um, read The Informationist for the first time, and it took me 53 pages to get to <laughs> it. <laughs> Which, if you haven't been following my book club blogs where I talk about all of that, you can find them on my Patreon page. They're free. You don't need a Patreon account to be able to read them. But I, I really I analyze. I really analyze my own work from the perspective of who I am as a writer now and what what works what doesn't but also knowing that i am um i've kind of ruined to most reading just because i work with words i'm I'm pickier than most readers let's just say um and especially in the thriller genre like i'll go read science fiction or um satire or whatever and it doesn't really have to be that written to the same expectations because it's completely different genre so it's almost like i'm starting with a clean slate but when it comes to thrillers, it's really hard. So yeah, I read. My, it took me fifty three pages, and I was like, "Oh man, all those people who were complaining about this—they're so right." <laughs> so anyway, it's it, those are good good posts. I put a lot of time into them, so you should go read them if you haven't.
0: Yeah, and I yeah I have read several of them. I haven't read the most recent one, but I have, of course, read several. And of course, the the address for the Patreon page is Taylor.
1: It's. Patreon.com and Patreon is spelt dot com slash Taylor Stephens. No hyphens, no dots, just Taylor Stephens.
0: And and for me, in the example that I was giving of this book that had such a strong open, it wasn't it wasn't so much the quality of the writing, it was the information that was delivered. Um, for me, and the the atmosphere, the character. I just learned so much about What I was getting myself into, in the first page and a half or so, that I I was just completely sold. And this in the the
1: series that in the series that you read that you loved and that you went through and read the whole series. Yes, and there
0: were only three books, so that leads me to believe that the series probably was not tremendously successful. Um, This was again back in 1987, and this was back way before the time when you could download a sample on Amazon. Um, where you had 10%, where you could see whether you could hook a reader. Now, you know, you've essentially got 10% to try and hook the reader. But the reality is, in a lot of cases, I'll download samples of things that look interesting, there's a good cover, or the blurb is really good or something, and I I won't make it through 3% before before I give up. And I never used to be that way. But there's so much material out there now and some of it is so enjoyable to read and some of it's a slog. So there's got to be a reason to continue to read some of the stuff that's a slog. And and sometimes you read the stuff that's a slog to get into and it, it, they turn out to be brilliant and you love them and, and you know, you want to read 30 of those books.
1: Um, sometimes it's mood, you know. Like there are people yeah. who will pick up something and it's just not working for them. But then they're like, "Well, oh, I just why is this not working?" And they'll come back to it a year later, and it's like, "Oh, this is awesome! I don't know why I couldn't get into it before." So sometimes things hit you, or sometimes. Like And I I hear this from readers a lot. And it, it's funny, and I know it's kind of bragging, but, you know, I don't toot my own horn very often. But I'll hear from readers, and I'll be like, I just finished reading your book X, and then I tried to pick up X famous author, and I just couldn't. <laughs> you know, I couldn't <laughs> even, because the, the contrast was too jarring, and I was just like, I, like okay, pat, pat, pat myself on the back. But, um, you know, if you've come off of some really light reading, and then you try and get into something really... Uh, You know heavy or dark and you're not in the mood for it that can totally, you know color your opinion of what that thing is But that's a kind of separate issue from the quality of the writing or the quality of the storytelling Um, and regardless of Anything you know as an author that there are going to be people who just aren't into what you're writing and that's that's okay That's just part of the, the bargain that you have with readers in general But you still want to put your best foot forward. Like let them hate it because they couldn't get into the character. Let them hate it because uh, they didn't like your voice or whatever. But not because it wasn't compelling in its own way. You know, there's a difference.
0: And I think I remember hearing you you tell the story of uh, you wrote The Informationist and then the. Prologue was not originally there, right That was something that was put in afterwards based on advice from your editor.
1: Well, the prologue was there, but it just was really poorly written. Okay. Uh, the The scene that was added based on the advice of my editor was the opening of chapter one. So both the prologue and chapter one the opening of chapter one were some of the last material that I wrote on the book because the prologue sucked and I needed by the time I'd finished writing the book, I kind of had learned a little bit more of what I was doing, and so the prologue is one of the strongest pieces, <laughs> the strongest writing in the book because it's one of the last things that I wrote.
0: Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it just—I it, guess—I guess it's making the point that if if you're going to go to the effort of of writing this book, make sure that you really polish the beginning um, because readers like me—not that I'm just all that picky—but if i get hooked if there's if the writing is 10% worse the third chapter and on i don't notice i don't care I, by that right. time i'm i love the characters and i want to i want to be in the story world right. and so that's okay um and in the in what you're describing, it's like your writing got better as you went along. So for people who might have jumped in if you hadn't done what you did, massage the beginning a little bit, they might have—they wouldn't, they wouldn't yeah. have seen the good writing or the best of your writing at the end. And instead, or you even, were able to put the best of it in the beginning.
1: Yeah, or even the quality of the storytelling. Because storytelling and writing go hand in hand, and that's also part of what we're going we have talked about that before, but that's also part of what we're going to talk about today as well. Yes.
0: Okay. So, good. Uh, let's get to it. What exactly is our topic for today, Taylor?
1: I don't actually know. (laughs) We're going to leave that to you to figure out with your genius headlines, but I can tell you what brought us to this topic and it's sort of a confluence of events. And the first is that I am currently in the very long and stretched out process of reading the Monroe series cover to cover. And it's my—I think I've talked about it before. It's my first time doing it. I've never read my books as a reader, and I—I've—I've um, I've struggled. I'm, I'm working on another Monroe title now on my own. It doesn't have a contract or anything. I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for my patrons, and I—I've um, really struggled. And part of the reason I've struggled is because of my brain broke, and I'm still recoup- My brain is still recuperating. Um, lots of detail about that everywhere else. I'm not going to go into depth about it here. Uh, But the other is I expect that, you know, having spent so much time away from the character, I've sort of lost her heartbeat. And I really wanted to feel her again. And I felt like, well, the best way for me to crawl back into her head is to crawl back into her world. Thus, this odyssey of reading my own books cover to cover as a reader. And so um, it's a slow process. I don't have a lot of time. I, you know, not only... Do I not have a lot of time to read? But then I want to really think about what it is I'm reading, and I—I um, I don't want to say blog; it's not a blog. But I write about it and and get my thoughts. So it's just—it's—it's—it's a, it's a, it's a process, and I, I got to fit that in with everything else that's going on. So I—I—I um, I, I made it through the Informationist, and then right almost immediately after, I started the Innocent. And which is book two, obviously, and I got like, I don't know, maybe three or four chapters into it, and I stopped, and I've never been able to pick it back. I haven't been able to bring myself to pick it back up again, and anybody who knows me and knows my life story knows that The Innocent is a very, very personal book because it's kind of based on my life in a way. I'm not going to go into all the details here because there is a post up on Patreon that Does it all already? So, skip all of that. But the punchline is that it wasn't all of the pain that went on before I wrote the book. It wasn't the pain that followed the publication of the book, which you'll have to read about in that post as well. It was that these opening chapters of The Innocent blew me away. It was Not at all what I was expecting. And granted, I had just come off The Informationist. And I basically went from epilogue on Informationist to prologue on The Innocent. And I went, this is not the same person who wrote these two. Not the same person at all. What the hell happened? How did I do this? And I'm sitting there admiring this craft. And it is lighting up every single dopamine sensor in my brain. Where it felt like eating ice cream, like I just want more or french fries, just just the thing that feeds that you know, rich craving. And by the time I stopped, I was like, there is no way the rest of the book is going to live up to this because I put so much effort <laughs> into my openings, <laughs> see it was related. Um, I put so much effort into my openings, there's just no way, and I didn't want it to end. I didn't want to. To have to let go of that feeling. first, the the that feeling of just not wanting to stop reading. like that is so rare for me anymore. since I don't know, ten years now, that's very rare for me to find something that I just can't, I just want to read more of it because it is just clicking everything, you know, and it's it's so enjoyable. It's what reading used to be like for me. And then to feel that from my own work, that has never happened in the history of forever. <laughs> it has never happened. It might not ever happen again. I didn't want to let go of that. I wanted to hold on to it. So why would I want to start this book again if I could just stop there and not have to deal with you know the disappointment and all this other stuff? So anyway, that's what trying to get past that is what the post on there was about. Shedding it, letting it go. Okay, fine, let's start again. So I started up again. And as I started reading, I went back to the beginning as I started reading these the opening sequence i was just like what is it about this why does it work so well so that was the first event right and the second was um i've recently had to go back to the drawing board on the framework for hack the craft um if you follow me on facebook on in the taylor stevens fan club facebook group you'll see that i put out a call for volunteers hack the craft i've just had to realize that there's no way possible on god's earth that I'm going to accomplish all the things that I want to do. And I do not want this to become a pipe dream. Like there's so much to offer the world here. And so I was asking for volunteers to help go through the podcasts because there's so much content in these podcasts that could become a foundation for this if it was categorized and organized. And, and it's not in any way usable in the format it is, unless some it is currently is unless somebody wants to listen to it, cover to cover, you know, from beginning to end. So, in thinking about how to do this i realized well there's we've got to have some kind of framework that people can work off the same notes basically so that there's consistency in sorting and categorizing this and the framework is what's held me up for so for all these years because there's so much material and and the issue is that uh craft the, the writing a novel is half writing like half the actual words on the page and half storytelling and they are two halves of a whole that cannot exist without the other. And we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to belabor it here. Uh, but in running up against this framework issue, the, those two issues of writing and, and uh, storytelling are so intertwined that when you try and teach both of them, they all kind of tend to get muddled. And I'm sure they're. There've got to be books or courses out there that do successfully teach both. But the ones I've seen, they all tend to lean more heavily towards craft or towards writing, the, the practical aspects of writing. And, and, they're being, and both of those things are being taught as a separate process. But that's the problem is they're not separate processes. I mean, they are, but they aren't because they're so intertwined. And when you've done both correctly, that final product is a mesh. And it's so tight that it's almost impossible to separate story from writing. And my challenge with the whole hack thing is to unmesh those things and to be able to teach them in sort of a linear linear and organized progression that builds one thing off another. But they're two separate subjects. So how do you do that, right? So in, in this call for volunteers, I kind of sort of maybe kind of got part of the puzzle sorted out. I'm not sure the puzzle even can be completely solved. But... I've got that going on in my brain and I come back and I sit and I start reading these chapters of the innocent again and this opening sequence that blows me away yet again and as I'm sitting there trying to deconstruct it for myself and realize what works I'm like no wait a minute this is an opportunity to deconstruct this mesh for everyone and to help myself learn how to articulate these things so that's what today's going to be. And maybe tomorrow and maybe next week, we don't, Mm -hmm. I don't have any idea how long this is going to go. So what I want to do is I want to panic attack here. I want to break down my own work and I want to try and show how these components all sort of fit together into this whole. And I want to do it from several angles because I've done a lot of blabbering on these podcasts off the years, right? Where I've built out principles and trying to explain things using other people's work. And I want to now take all that blabbering or some of that blabbering and apply it to my own work in retrospect. So the fun part about this is I've committed to do this and I have no idea if it actually works. So I'm thinking specifically of a podcast that we did where I talked about I think it was five things that every chapter opening sequence has to have. And this is the order that those things have to go into. I have no idea if that will fit what, I, what I'm about to read. Like, I'm going to run it through that framework, too, and see, is this why it works? Is this why it works, right? So it's really the material we're going to work is with is very small. It is impossible for me to do all of this with a whole chapter or even... A thousand words is too much we would be doing a series of 10 podcasts to be able to do that but um i'm gonna find out if my own advice actually works for my older material or not and we're gonna work with the opening sequence of the innocent and i get to be choosy here and pick the material that i'm just like oh, this is so good about um and and not other material that i'm not feeling that way about of myself so yay me
0: um, and can, and I, so- can I just interrupt and say here that when Taylor was explaining this to me, I got so excited and my brain just started firing off in all these different directions at the same time that she just continued to talk, not realizing that I couldn't possibly understand what she was saying. And she got done. <laughs> and I said, OK, is this what we're going to do? And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> But I was so excited about the idea that here are these things that we've been talking about for all this time, and and you know there is, as she said, there's a history back there. We talked about some of these very things in like episodes one eighty five, one eighty six, and she's going to apply it in real time to her own writing to see yeah, I if wrote it a worked. Long
1: time ago. Yeah, yes. to see if I was subcom- without knowing that those those because these rules are recent, right? Like I've only started teaching this stuff within the last few years. But I wrote this material a long time ago. And a lot of times the stuff that I was writing, I was doing it on instinct. I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing, just that it's clicking inside my brain. And so all of these tutorials, the podcast, answering questions, it's an attempt to deconstruct this understanding that I have in my brain of how words and story and character and all these pieces fit together to deconstruct it into its separate parts and show others how to then take those parts and and use them to reassemble their own story. So so I'll I'll teach things and I think that I'm right, but I don't really know. And I've never had to go back and apply it to my own work and go, well, let's see. So that's that's what I'm going to do. So anyway, um, I'm going to work with the opening of chapter one. If you have the innocent, then you can just follow along. I'm not going to do this on video. I'm just going to read it. I'm working with only 155 words. so It's very, very short. Um, and when I say that this is the opening sequence, I have to clarify for those who don't have their own copies that there actually is a prologue that comes before this. But the reason I can skip that and safely still call this the opening is because the prologue is it's detached from the plot. It, it, it's more of a characterization thing. And it doesn't really have anything to do with what's happening here. It's different character, different setting. Everything's different. It's completely disconnected. So chapter one is essentially a cold open. And also in the prologue, we don't really have any sense of the story. Like, it's, it's, it's necessary. It gives me chill bumps, uh, goosebumps when I read it, when I get to the end of it. But it is not connected to what we're about to go into here. So here we go. Chapter one. can't believe I'm reading my own work here. All right. At last, the crowd moved forward. He picked up the duffel bag and slipped the strap over his shoulder. Aching in nauseous, he placed one deliberate foot in front of the other, part of the collective escape from transatlantic captivity, down the aisle, out of the belly of the plane, along the jetway, and through the sunlit terminals of Mohammed V Airport, or Mohammed V Airport. Three days of little sleep had brought him here. Three days and three lifetimes since that call and the wee hours that had, without warning, provided long-awaited news. He'd sat in the dark rigid on the edge of the bed, searching his way through possibilities until certain there was really only one option, he'd picked up the handset once more and placed the call to Morocco. I need a favor. Those had been his only words. No introduction, no explanation, only the plea. Tell me, she'd said, I'm coming to you. And that's it. Just 155 words. I mean, obviously the chapter's a lot longer than that, and the entire opening sequence is longer than that but that's essentially the cold open and that's the material that i'm going to go over today so the first breakdown that i want to do is just based off the notes that i jotted for myself as i was trying to understand what it was about this scene that lit up all the dopamine dopamine receptors in my head the way that it did so we're just going to go back and break it down line by line at last the crowd moved forward so that opening right there That drops us immediately right into the character's head. There's no description. There's no setting. There's no scene. We don't know the character's name, gender, location. It's like it's pitch black, and all of a sudden you open your eyes. And there are people and oppressive bodies. We get that from the word crowd. At last, the crowd moved forward. And there's this sense of frustration or impatience, which is conveyed through the word at last. And now we're moving. So from the very first line in this sequence, we have the who and we are the who. We don't know who who is, but we are the who and we know we're in whose head, right?
0: This sounds like (laughs) Dr. Seuss now.
1: I know. (laughs) (laughs) He picked up the duffel bag and slipped the strap over his shoulder. So before anything else, we get character in motion. Something is already happening. We have movement, right? We're not spending a lot of time describing what the character is seeing, what the character is feeling, just at last the crowd moved forward. He picked up the duffel bag and slipped the strap over his shoulder. Aching and nauseous, he placed one deliberate foot in front of the other, part of the collective escape from transatlantic captivity. Down the aisle, out the belly of the plane, along the jetway, and through the sunlit terminals of Mohammed 5 Airport. Now, I've looked at this part of that paragraph several times now because the placing of the words aching and nauseous, they're twitching my brain. In my writing process, the way I write is that I tend to keep going back over and over, writing and rewriting until the cadence stops making my brain twitch. And in this case, I was wondering well, maybe the aching and nauseous could be moved, deleted, it feels heavy handed, maybe it could be rephrased but i haven't been able to find a way to line edit it in a in a way that solves one twitch without raising others so in the end i just left it alone because i couldn't find a way to do it better now i'm not happy with it but it is what it is right so there are keywords in this paragraph that are working with other keywords to create something more than the whole because the whole paragraph in itself it's giving us everything we need to know to establish where we are, right? But these specific words in this particular paragraph are evoking emotion. And so it's not like we're just moving through the world. We're feeling it as we move through the world. And those words are deliberate. Uh, The word is not the words are deliberate. Obviously, it was deliberate when I wrote them. But the words are, one, deliberate, where it's used one deliberate foot in front of the other. So... You could say he placed one foot in front of the other, part of a collective escape, and that would be fine. But by inserting that word deliberate, it forces an emotional layer on top of the movement, and that's gravitas. That's giving a sense of mood, right? This is not, he's not in a happy mood. He's aching and nauseous, and his steps are deliberate. They're thought out as he's going, right? The other two words are escape and captivity. So it's used in this phrase, part of the collective escape from transatlantic captivity. And both of those are emotional words that even though on the first level, all they're doing is describing getting off a plane after you've been stuck in it for a long time, which anybody who's flown internationally can relate to, it has a second layer of emotion that's that comes with the connotation those words carry in and of themselves. So escape and captivity are both very dark sort of, they're not happy words. Well escape could be if it was combined with something else. But when it's combined with captivity, these words in and of themselves evoke a layer of emotion because words carry their own, emotional weight uh, based on their connotation, how they're used, right? So those three words together placed in that, in that structured sentence, they carry so much weight in and of themselves that when we hit sunlit, you know, when we get to through the sunlit terminals of the airport, it almost feels like a blinding contradiction. Like we've been given no visual cues to give us shadow or gloom or anything like that, but The words in and of themselves, the word choices in and of themselves are evocative, and they are so evocative that they contradict sunlit in a way that if you're reading it word for word, it actually becomes jarring. Now, a lot of eyes might just skip over that, but when you're doing that paragraph after paragraph after paragraph and being very careful in your word choices, you create this sense of emotion without ever talking about feelings or any of that other stuff and that's craft that that's what I'm picking up on as I read this and I'm going, and it's because of the way these words are woven to evoke emotion and setting and plot. And as all the things are all woven together very tightly, that's craft. Okay. So in that first one line opening, and that full paragraph, we've got character emotion, we've got who, and now that we know the who is a is a guy, and we've got where. But there's no big description. There's no time to pause. There's nothing. It's just, and on we go, right? We're not stopping to just get into his head. Nothing. It continues. Three days of little sleep had brought him here. Three days. Three days and three lifetimes since that call and the wee hours that had, without warning, provided long-awaited news. That's, we're 90 words in now. At the end of that, we're 90 words in now. We got, in addition to character emotion and the who and the where, now we've also got the why. Why are we here? Well, three days of little sleep had brought him here. Three days and three lifetimes since that call in the wee hours that had without warning provided long-awaited news. Now, we still don't actually know who the who is or why the why is, but we know something has happened, that something is happening. And without wasting any words on detail, we know without being told that this story has started in media res, which is in the midst of things. That's Latin. Whether I butchered the pronunciation is irrelevant. And The exact definition of that comes courtesy of Google, and it tells me that, in the midst of things in media it's the practice of beginning an epic or other narrative by plunging into a crucial situation that is part of a related chain of events. The situation is an extension of previous events and will be developed in later action. So when you're writing thrillers in particular, um, but I think it's helpful for many uh, forms of storytelling, many genres, it's you don't start with the backstory. You start in the middle of action. We have another word for that. It's called character in motion. <laughs> um, character in motion doesn't really sum it up completely, but if your character is just standing still and navel-gazing, then that and that, that's your opening scene, or you're just getting into a lot of description of what's going on or what things look like, you are not starting the story in the midst of things so you want to just right off the deep end in the midst of things and you've got plenty of time to clarify what happened before so because we've done that we've given the who we've given the where we've given the why we've given it in so few words and because there's these evocative emotion tugging words that are used to describe the who and the where and the why the your brain gets hooked my brain gets hooked right it's just like it's like you're snagged and you're only 90 words in and you already want to know what are these things that story craft this ability to feed like a stream of just enough information in small enough doses that you feel compelled the reader feels compelled to get to the next line to try and fill in those gaps now pr- i promise you That is not how I wrote my earlier (laughs) draft of this. The tendency as a writer is to want to just dump all this information on the reader so that the reader will know everything that you know and they get caught up to speed and then you can continue the story or take the story on. But that that's not that's not story. That's not crap. That's not pacing. Um, It's all about giving just enough information to hook and to keep And you just keep going and you keep layering it down. And that's what this is setting the
0: pace for. Taylor, I think that you have given just enough information (laughs) to hook people into coming back next week to get to part two of this episode. So we're 90 words in and we've finished the first episode and we will be back next week. This is one of what, what we think will be three different reviews of this same material. So um, come back next week and we will pick up pretty much right where we left off today.
1: Well, wasn't that a dramatic ending? So uh, (laughs) come back next week and we'll just do what Steve said and pick back up right where we left off. See you next week.